You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 975 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's show is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store and find one of the Locked on Rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's show is going to be a preview of the Hawks Magic game on Tuesday evening. And after that, we'll get into the mailbag. It's been a while since I've done a mailbag show, so it was time for that. And thanks, as always, for the questions from the listeners. And we'll dive in now to the Magic preview. Um, I said this on yesterday's show, but sort of as a top-line thought here, this is a game the Hawks need to win. <laughs> um, they're favored by a lot, which we'll get to in a second, but Orlando is struggling, and you know, schedule-wise, it doesn't get much easier than this for the Hawks. Uh, obviously, there are no givens in the NBA, that has to be said, but the Magic have massive injury issues. They're also rebuilding now in full after trading Lucevic and Aaron Gordon at the deadline, which is the right to move for them overall, but uh, in terms of their product this year, they are not very good right now. They're 5-21 and in the last 26 and 1-8 and eight in the last 9. They're a bottom three team in the league, basically for the last, I don't know, two months or so, with a net rating of about minus 10 in that stretch. Uh, bottom five on offense and defense. They're just pretty bad right now. Um, the Magic lost to the Rockets at home in their last game, for instance. They also have some rotation stuff that's not ideal. They do have some guys that I like, like Gary Harris and Chubo Kiki and Wendell Carter, but they're pretty young and no top-end talent right now and also a bunch of injuries. So, Pretty ugly on that side. They are well coached though, and they do a good job, at least traditionally, of like not turning the ball over. For instance, they protect the defensive glass very well, and they also don't foul. So some strengths to certainly have if you're Orlando, but at the same time, they just can't really score right now. They're dead last in the league in shooting in terms of their effective field goal percentage. That since late since late February, it's basically like under fifty percent in EFG, which is not ideal. We'll say um, injury wise. The Hawks are also somewhat the healthier team, which is kind of crazy in this game. Um, there are five guys out still for Atlanta, which is not exactly ideal. It's still Hunter, Gallinari, Snell, Dunn, and Reddish out of the lineup as it was on Sunday. But Collins is now off the injury report entirely, and nobody else joined the injury report, which is a small victory. So same status. Obviously, they only have 12 guys available, and it could be better, to be sure, injury-wise. But it isn't so bad. In fact, there were some updates from Nate McMillan, at least moderate updates, on Monday afternoon. I'm actually going to play the audio for you now on these. Chris Kirscher, who you'll hear in a second, asked about the status of of DeAndre Hunter and Chris Dunn, and here's what Nate had to say. You mentioned how uh, DeAndre and Chris haven't been able to do any live work. Um, Do you know when that might happen, just with the condensed schedule? Because, like, you guys don't really do any live work, correct? Well, we, we, our low minute guys are normally are doing live work on off days and, uh, you know, some game days, uh, we will bring them in when we're at home in the morning, you know, so, uh, even though the, the, uh, uh, the bulk of the team is not doing live work, low minute guys are always, uh, doing live work to try to keep their conditioning, uh, you know, and get, you know, work on some type of rhythm. Uh, today we did have some live work. Uh, where uh, Chris is playing, uh, uh, Dre is not playing. Uh, so yes, you know, days like this is the time that we try to get that work in. And uh, Chris was able to play. Uh, this was a day that uh, Dre could not go. 
So as you hear there, a little bit better for Chris Dunn. Obviously, him getting on the court is a good thing in terms of some live work. Hunter, no update and nothing going on there. So no official updates at all from the Hawks on Monday other than this availability from McMillan, other than th- these guys being ruled out. So I have nothing else to report. I promise you I will. If I know I get a lot of questions about these guys all the time. I will always pass along what I know to you all. Um, the other guy who was discussed was Tony Snell, and you'll hear the voice of Sarah Spencer of the AJC momentarily. And uh, here's what McMillan had to say about Snell. Um, Nate, has Tony been able to do much yet with that ankle sprain? No, uh, pretty much. He's just, he's doing a little shooting, uh, but, and some light running, but uh, nothing really with the team. Uh, This is uh, what he is doing on his own. So uh, uh, he's not, not, not doing much on the floor. It's an ankle, obviously for Snell, which is not, uh, necessarily going to be a long, long-term thing, but ankles can be finicky, as we talked about a lot. Obviously, Collins just missed nine games. Uh, could be a while for Snell. He's not quite getting close yet, and while he's not quite at the level of DeAndre Hunter in terms of importance or fame, Tony Snell has been important to this team this year, and they do need him, um, especially right now with other guys out. His 3 and D stuff has been uh, pretty impressive and pretty uh, central to what the Hawks have been doing, so that's a guy to circle to be sure. Um, last thing, on the game uh, before the point spread is that Orlando is also banged up. They don't have um, Fulton Isaac both after the season, obviously. And then Orlando also is missing uh, Hawks killer Terrence Ross, who's killed the Hawks at, at various times. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams is out for this game. Otto Porter and James Ennis. So they're pretty short-handed too. They have six guys out, plus all the trades and all that stuff. So they're very young and shaky, we'll say. In fact, our friends at BetOnline.ag make the Hawks currently, as of Monday night, a 12.5 point favorite in this game. You're hearing that right, 12.5 that would be, the if it stands, again, if it stands, that'd be the largest point spread of the season for the Hawks as the favorite. They were 10.5 point favorites against Detroit back in December. So, yeah, that tells you. By the way, you have to go back to a game against the process-led Sixers, who were terrible back then. November 12th, 2016, was the last time the Hawks were as big of a favorite as they currently are listed at right now. They were 14.5 point favorites against the Sixers back in 2016. So, it's been a while. Obviously, Orlando is not very good, and the Hawks have a rest somewhat edge here. They did not play, of course, um, on Monday, and also had the afternoon game on Sunday, so sort of a half-day extra for the Hawks to be off. Plus, they're at home, and the injury situation is not quite as bad as it's been in the recent past. That, that's how this all happens. Orlando is pretty shaky, but again, nothing is given in the, in the NBA. You can still lose as a big favorite, so don't assume this is going to be a win, but it definitely needs to be won if you're a Hawks team trying to compete for the playoffs and find your number four spot, a win in this spot is necessary. Uh, last thing, one piece of league news before we get to the mailbag, the NBA and the NBA PA announced on Monday that the free agency period will be beginning on Monday, August 2nd at 6 p.m. Eastern, and the moratorium is going to run through Friday, August 6th at noon Eastern. Obviously, this is a long time from now, but the draft is going to be on July 29th, so basically about three, three and a half days between the draft and free agency, so sort of a sped up timeline like it was at times this year. As a reminder, by the way, the free agents for the Hawks right now are John Collins, who's restricted, of course, Tony Snell, Lou Williams, Brandon Goodwin, and Solomon Hill, plus Chris Dunn as a player option that I'm guessing he will not uh, be declining, so I think he'll probably be not a free agent, but he could be if he chooses to be. So that's going to be coming. We'll obviously spend a lot more time on that once the Hawks season is over, but mark your calendars, draft, July 29th, free agency, August 2nd. All right, before we get to the rest of the show and some mailbag questions and work from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or your favorite sport. 
Locker Room is a perfect place to start and join conversations about the league, and you'll find fans just like you in Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, of course, reacting to all the biggest news and rumors. You can even find lots on hosts across MLB, NBA, and the NHL, including some of our big-name folks. In fact, I know for a fact the Hollinger Dunkin' Podcast has been on there, um, recording live and then sharing that on their podcast platform. All kinds of our hosts are up and down the channels. You can find them in the Locked On Rooms, and you definitely should go ahead and check that out now. In fact, go download the free Locker Room app, currently available on all iOS devices, and be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join any of the conversations about the NFL, MLB, and NHL, in addition to the NBA, for all the latest league updates. I know you'll find incredible rooms about your favorite teams in your leagues, and I'll be sure to let you know once there are even more rooms going on for the Locked On team. Download the Locker Room app today, Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's show is also sponsored by rockauto.com. One key reason to repair and maintain your own car is to save money. You can use it for other important things like paying the mortgage or paying for food or whatever else you want to use it for. And honestly, why would you want to pay more money for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership when you instead can use rockauto.com? rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet, whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver. Get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always low and they're always the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers, so why spend twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. When you get there, you want to write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, and we'll go to the mailback questions now. The first question that I will take is from Alan, who asks, if you assume health, what would your playoff rotation be right now? Um, first, assuming health is a funny one for the Hawks right now. Um, and I'll also keep this pretty short because it'll probably come back up, honestly, once the season is over and we'll talk about a playoff series because it looks like the Hawks are going to have a playoff series, most likely. So I'll have uh, much longer responses and stuff on that later on. But quickly here to answer the question, I would say there are seven locks if everyone is healthy. That is Young, Herter, Bogdanovich, Hunter, Collins, Gallinari, and Capella. Those are the seven guys I think are definitely going to play in a playoff series if they are all healthy. Then, I think realistically, Lou Williams is probably a semi-lock at number eight as a backup point guard. Um, I would not play Lou with Trey, I don't think, very much if everybody was healthy. But I think uh, I think realistically, most of the time, you're going to want a backup point guard when Trey's off the court. So that gives you eight. Now, how big a rotation is, is up for debate also. You could go down to, you know, eight guys. You could go to nine guys. You could go to ten guys. Nate's been a little bit shorter in the rotation overall so I think in the playoffs also things get um constricted a little bit so I'm gonna guess you probably only go nine most of the time and that basically leaves you with three maybe four other options um Cam Reddish is sort of the weird one here because Reddish it's just hard to project him actually returning he's not anywhere close right now it seems and also just not playing for so long I have a hard time projecting a him to be healthy and b even if he is getting closer to being healthy by then, like, is he going to play over Tony Snell? I don't know if that's going to happen in the playoff series. So that's a giant question mark. We'll kind of leave Cam to the side. But the other guys, basically you get into Snell, Solomon Hill, and a Kong Wu as the other options. I think if Snell was playing the way that he was before he got injured and was back 100%, he probably is the most likely guy to play because he has the most flexibility in the shooting. You just ha- you cannot leave him open, which is big in the playoff series. Um, Hill can play both spots at the forward spots, three and the four. He's played all year, and he's been 
great for the Hawks in terms of just having a filling guy to do a lot of different things. But it's hard to play. It's hard to play him a lot if you have Hunter Collins, Gallinari all healthy. Uh, part of Solomon Hill's path to playing time has been at the four with Collins and Gallinari missing so much time. Over, not overlapping with each other, so that kind of opens it up. But if everybody's healthy, it's harder to play solo, so he may not get in there necessarily. And then a Kongwu is interesting because I have a feeling they're going to play Collins a lot as a backup center in the playoffs. We saw that a little bit even on Sunday. Now that Collins is back, it's just as a reminder that Collins is going to play some center. I said this on yesterday's podcast as well, but it's worth saying again now. If you figure Capella is going to play a lot of minutes in the playoffs and Collins plays some at the center spot as well, you could see games where Kongwu doesn't play. That would not surprise me a whole lot. So, rotationally speaking, I think there are eight guys who are very obvious, and then you get into the ninth spot, that's kind of a question mark, and maybe you go as many as ten. But um, that there's, there's, there's definitely some jockeying for position, and it's always important to remind everyone that coming into the year, guys like Snell and Hill were not even supposed to play. And now, you know, I think one of them almost certainly will play some in the playoffs, if not both. So there you go on that. All right, the next one will be from at not new to this on Twitter, who asks, has Bogdanovich hit his ceiling? This is an interesting question because he's almost playing above his ceiling right now with the way that he's shooting. No one could shoot like this other than maybe Steph or Clay or something like that. Um, he's currently leading the East in threes in April, shooting 50, 52% from three and 66% true shooting in April. So all of that is a little bit over his ceiling. With that said, that isn't real, and everyone would recognize that, I think. But he's also due for some positive regression after the way that he started. He started started off pretty slowly and had the injury, so he's kind of just balancing the scales a little bit here. In terms of his ceiling, I would say it's important to keep in mind that he is 28 years old. This is not a. I know he's only his fourth season, but he's not this like prospect kind of guy. He is an established veteran player, so projecting him to be too much better than this is not necessarily realistic. At the same time, it is possible in a non-Kings apparatus that he could be better obviously um so i think either this year or maybe the next couple could be his best years of his career for sure i think he's capable of more than what he did with the kings that's kind of the big thing here is he going to be a star i don't think so but that is, you don't have to have a star I, it, it, part of the deal with mike diamond's contract was that you're trying to pay up for a quality you know starting caliber or higher uh, shooting guard slash three he can do that he can do all that stuff so I think even with this crazy hot streak, he's averaging fewer points this year than he did last year with the Kings. Although his efficiency is definitely at a career best level now in only 32 games this year. But so to answer the question, really, I think it kind of depends on what you think his ceiling actually is. I think he's better than the guy he was in Sacramento. And with I think they're also using him very well. And he's worthy of the contract. I'm not sure he's going to average 20 points a game on an elite efficiency in the long run, the way that he has been in April. But I think it's interesting for sure. And McMillan's done a great job, honestly putting him in a great spot to be successful, letting him cook a little bit. So I think his ceiling is not quite where we are right now, but it's not too much further. He's, this is, not again, not a, not a 23-year-old guy that's coming into his own. This is an established vet. But uh, the Kings uh, don't always do the best job, we'll say. So that's, it's possible that he could be better than this moving forward, and he's been awesome already in the last couple of weeks. Next question comes from Bowen, who asks... Does Clint Capella have, actually have a chance to win Defensive Player of the Year? And if he doesn't, what about making an all-defensive team? First, I will start with this. Uh, Capella has been ridiculous this season in a great way. I'll start there. I praised the trade when it happened. I thought it was great value for the Hawks. I talked about him in a positive way the entire offseason, even when he was hurt and all that stuff. I said he was, most second, sorry, I said he was the second most indispensable player on the team behind Trey Young. I talked about his defense, all that stuff. With all that said, I was still too low on Capella. That's how good he's been this year. He's been awesome. I mentioned it last night on the show, but he's been averaging about 20 and 15 in April with three blocks. He's just been lights out all season long. He's leading the league in rebounding still, which is notable, especially on defense. You know, it's not 
only defense, but defensive rebounding is uh, pretty. It's definitely one of his strengths, to be, to be sure. He's third in blocks per game, all that stuff. Also, beyond this, sort of the box score stats, his impact has been notable. His on-off metrics are impressive. The Hawks have about 107 defensive rating, which is very good, in about 1,500 minutes with Capella on the court this year. It's not that easy, but if you took that mark on its own, it'd be in the top five of the NBA. So when he's on the court, basically the Hawks are really good defensively. Full stop. When he leaves the court, no matter who else is playing, it could be Okongwu, it could be Fernando, it could be Collins, it could be Gallinari at center, any of those any of those guys, the Hawks are allowing about 114.5, which would be like a bottom five defense. So it's, it's quote-unquote only seven points per possession is different, but you basically go from top five to bottom five when Capella leaves the court. So, he's basically good at, at everything defensively as well. He's an elite rebounder, of course. Rip protection's been impressive. He's fantastic at not fouling this year as well. Plus, he can move really well on the perimeter, at least for a center. There were some concerns, even for me, early in the season, with the way he was moving after the, long, after the long absence. He kind of had some sluggishness, wasn't as explosive as he was in Houston. But once he got comfortable, uh, probably running into shape a little bit, and got healthy, he's looked great, honestly, for the most part. So, to answer the question itself... I don't think the Capella has a real, as what I would say is a realistic chance to actually win. And part of that is narrative based. Part of that is that Rudy Gobert actually is awesome. Um, so that's, that's kind of the two things that I will get into here. I think Gobert is going to win unless he gets injured. Uh, Utah's defense as a whole, as a team is better. Gobert has a reputation that is sort of unimpeachable defensively. And he is awesome. Beyond that, though, I think Capella has a real case for number two. That's not even just me saying that as an Atlanta guy. I think he actually does with the way that he's been playing. There are some other contenders, to be sure. Um, but I think I would actually vote Capella second team all defense at center right now. Behind Gobert on the first team. He'd be competing with guys like Embiid and Miles Turner, who's actually hurt now. Um, so Capella may not get the nod. You know, obviously Embiid is a lot more famous. But I think holistically, his defensive impact this year has been just so tremendously awesome. Also, Capella's played 50 games, and Embiid's only played 38, so that should matter, in my view. I should give him a leg up. So, I think overall, he sh- you know, I don't think he's going to win, honestly, Defensive Player of the Year. I know, like, putting him in the discussion is worthy. I'm not really sure what that always means, like, to put guys in the conversation. I think um, Capella should be on Defensive Player of the Year ballots, and like I just said, I, I would vote him second-team all-defensive center. That's how good he's been this year. Um, part of the problem, though... And this is not a good thing, but just realistically, part of the problem here is that the Hawks have a below-average overall defense, and a lot of voters will just look at that and kind of cross him off, at least on the top, top levels. That is silly because of what I said earlier, like when he plays, they're really good on defense. But this is, I think, this is honestly the same thing that happened to Trey Young last season, and even this season at times, was that a team struggles and you kind of overlook everything else as if Trey Young was the reason why the Hawks struggled last year. It was a very obvious thing that we talked about a lot on this podcast, but the Hawks were pretty good when Trey played and they were just awful when he sat. And it's not quite as bad as that with Capella this year, but the Hawks are awesome defensively when he plays and not good when he sits. And that is the biggest reason why, honestly, it's a good, biggest, biggest way to show how good he is. It's also going to hurt him in some respects. So I think though, the, the fact that he's pretty easily like a top five Defensive Player of the Year candidate, in my view, is pretty remarkable and uh, sort of a testament to how good he's been. So Capella has been awesome, and uh, hopefully that will be enough because I'm not sure he's going to win, but at least it should be in the mix, and uh, Capella should be lauded for the way that he's played this year. Okay, before we get to the rest of the podcast, I work from our sponsor on today's show, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. 
Bet Online is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football is not happening right now, and I understand that's a lot of people's favorite thing to bet on in the sports world, but there are plenty of other options, including the NBA, of course. You have the NHL, auto racing, golf, tennis, MMA, college sports, everything you can imagine, you can find it at betonline.ag. And BetOnline even covers awards, entertainment bets, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline also has real-time updated odds and all kinds of props on almost anything you can imagine. Props are really fun to get into the sports betting world if you've not tried it before. And on top of that, BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and the odds that you need. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website now at betonline.ag or use mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On. That is 50% and a welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, two more questions that we'll get into, and the second one will be a pretty long answer, I think. So the first one will be from Jared. What do you make of Tyrese Halliburton saying that he did not want to come to the Hawks? You know, I talked about this and I missed it, but it seemed weird to me. So this is about a week ago now, but I never got to dive into it on the podcast. So Halliburton, who has been awesome this year in Sacramento, to be fair, uh, talked to, to Amick of The Athletic about a bunch of stuff. He addressed a few different situations uh, in the draft where he was passed up by some teams, including the Knicks and the Wizards. But also the Hawks stuff got some attention because, of course, it did. Um, the headline quote was, quote, I guess I just didn't see a great fit in Atlanta, end quote. He talked about the Hawks having a loaded backcourt and also said that he knew Rondo was going to sign with the Hawks, which is definitely interesting because he was not signing with the Hawks just yet when that happened, although that kind of stuff happens all the time. He did say that the Hawks liked him, which I think that was an open secret too, but that he, quote, felt like there were some other places that would fit better, end quote. So I tweeted about this at the time a little bit, but it's been an open secret for some time now, even dating back to the draft and before it, that Halliburton and, and or his reps, you never know which one of those is the case, did not necessarily want him in Atlanta. That was pretty open. Again, not like reportable, but kind of just out there in the ether. Um, these comments back that up, honestly. Um, even if I have to say that the Hawks could have taken him. That's always important to note here. This stuff happens kind of all the time. Guys like to um, express where they want to go, and it doesn't always work. Uh, agents the same way, and teams the same way. Like There's always kinds of talk and negotiations that happen, even in a draft. I know the draft's kind of just a 1-30 through 30 event, but there is some jockeying behind the scenes always. So this is not out of the ordinary. Let's just say that. Um, I will say also Halliburton did close down the rumor that he wanted to go to Sacramento desperately, which never really made sense to me because you lose money every time you drop down the draft board. So wanting to go to 12 necessarily was not, doesn't make a lot of sense. So um, that was something that he definitely uh, sort of denied on that, on that interview with Sam. But Again, like, this stuff just happens. As someone that covers the draft a lot, like, you just hear this stuff a lot. Sometimes the team just takes a player anyway. So that's important to know. Again, they could have just taken him. Um, they can't dictate where they want to go, but you'll hear about agents, like, withholding physicals or medical info or whatever else to try to get teams to not take their guy. Agents just kind of taking guys off the board. I'm not sure if it got to the point here. I'll say that right now. I, I'm not reporting that. I'm not sure if it got to that point at all. But as Halliburton said in this interview, I know the Hawks liked him. He was on their radar, and I can't tell you why they passed on him, at least, at least explicitly. So, you know, I don't think the Hawks were going to pass on Halliburton if they thought that he was the guy. Um, if it was close, or if it was the same tier, maybe this would be something that you, that you would utilize, but the Hawks liked the Kongwu. Uh, that's definitely the case. They drafted him, obviously, but they liked him. That was definitely out there as well. 
so it happens. Uh, I, I know Hawks fans were kind of offended by this, which I understand for sure. Guys not want to go certain places does happen, but you know you never want to hear a guy that didn't want to come to Atlanta. I'm sure that's something that fan base did not enjoy, which I definitely saw some of. Um, the last thing that I will say on this is that you know Halliburton, especially early in the season, was like a punching bag guy for Akongwu because Hawks fans were upset that Halliburton was so good and Akongwu was not playing, which I understood. But you know. Halliburton was always a guy who's going to come in and play better than most. There's always a guy or two in every class that are kind of well-suited to playing well right away. He was always going to be that guy. With that said, um, there was no rookie that was going to immediately be in the Hawks' opening night rotation as more than like the ninth guy. And that's the case with Halliburton, too. People have kind of forgotten this, but coming into the year, yes, the Rondo signing was bad, and I said as much, but they did sign him to two, to a two-year deal. And they also had Young, Herter, Bogdanovich, and they paid Chris Dunn, plus they had Cam Reddish. So uh, there was not a like a huge role for Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, would they have maybe done something different with Dunn or something like that if they had not um, drafted a Congo and drafted Halliburton instead? Sure, but there wasn't like a massive playing time uh, you know, gap in which the Halliburton was going to be in this huge role. Now, with all the injuries, he would have played and helped them for sure. But they just drafted the best guy that, that they wanted to take at the end of the day. I understand still right now being frustrated by this because Halliburton, at this moment in time, I'm aware enough to know that the, that if you did a national redraft, Halliburton would go ahead of a Kongwu. I know this. Um, I would have I would have preferred a Kongwu over Halliburton for the Hawks in that spot, but I understood that you know if, if you wanted Halliburton, I, I would understood that. I, I liked him always. I think his ceiling is probably a little bit overblown right now, but I think it's too early to talk about all of this stuff. But regardless. This got some national attention. It got some local attention, of course, because the guy saying that he didn't want to come to Atlanta is pretty notable. But at the end of the day, it's too early, and I think a Kongwu will be just fine. So there you go on that. Uh, last question comes from at range from deep on Twitter, who asks, "What are the best and worst case scenarios for the rest of this season for the Hawks, playoffs included?" Okay, before I get to the best and worst case, I will just sort of recap where they are right now. The thirty-one twenty-six. As of when I recorded this on Monday night, they are tied for fourth with Boston. They're a half game ahead of New York, two games ahead of Miami, and two and a half ahead of Charlotte. That could, that could change tonight because Boston and Miami both play on Monday. But still, that's the general lineup right now. Atlanta is projected, as I tweet this regularly, by the models to finish like between like 38 and 41 wins, mostly around 40. And given where they are right now and their schedule remaining and all that stuff, that's about right to me. If they get to like 38 or 39, that's probably going to be enough to miss the plan. At a bare minimum, if they want to get to the four or five series, they probably need to win closer to 40-41 to go ahead and do that. So there is obviously some flexibility there. And the middle of the East has not been great this year, although Boston's kind of hot right now, which is worth noting. Uh, Schedule-wise, the Hawks have a our number 18 in terms of um, remaining schedule strength. It's going to get a little bit harder after Orlando, because Orlando obviously drags it down a little bit. But it isn't too crazy in terms of the opponents. There are lots of games in a short period of time. They do play the Knicks, Heat, Bucks, Sixers twice, Blazers, and Suns. So there's some potholes in there. The Hawks do end the season very, very easily with four at home against Washington twice, Orlando, and Houston. So with all that said, the worst case scenario, I'm going to say this. Obviously, we're going to throw out the scenario where the Hawks like all get injured and they have no way to play. Um, so we'll just assume, as I knock on wood here, reasonable injury stuff from here on out, and I will use the worst-case scenario of I can't see the Hawks falling below the 8 spot in terms of as the season concludes in the regular season. Now, this is, again, the worst-case scenario, not what I'm projecting. Um, it would be disappointing if they fell to the, the play-in right now, given where they are. 
But it is conceivable. Uh, basketball has about a 10% chance to fall into the play-in right now, which is not likely, but it's definitely possible. Um, there are only two and a half games ahead of the 8th spot. Only two, only two games ahead of the 7th spot. So it would take a little bit of a swoon for the Hawks to fall out of the top six, but it's definitely uh, in play as a worst-case scenario anyway. So, um, but still, you know, realistically, being in the 7-8 game is the worst thing I can possibly see happening within reason. And even then, you'd have to lose twice in a row to not make the playoffs at that point in time, which the odds are definitely in your favor. If you want to just, you know, if you look at all those projection systems, the odds the Hawks fall completely out of the playoffs, which means out of the top eight, which means you have to, it's, it's a, probably like a 10% chance to fall into the play-in, and then you're still favored to make it in, in there. So you're talking like a 5% chance on paper to not make the top eight, all that stuff. Possible, not likely. Still though, realistically, you know, the, I guess the absolute worst case scenario is that you lose in the play-in too, which would be brutal. But more realistically, you, you get into the play-in, you get into the playoffs, and then lose by, you know, lose like 4-1 to Brooklyn or Philly. And that isn't the worst thing in the world. Is that good? No. But worst case scenario-wise, it's kind of funny because coming into the season, I think that would have been a pretty good result to be the 7 or 8 seed in the East and lose in the first round. Would that have been a home run? No, but it would, it would have been a double. It would have been a nice result for the team. Now, obviously, the Hawks would not love that as much now, but as a worst-case scenario, that's not too bad. The best-case scenario is the opposite. So um, I think still the four-seed is the best-case reasonable scenario. As of Monday, Basketball Reference gives the Hawks only a 1.2% chance to finish in the number three spot. They're four and a half games behind the Bucks, so that's tough it's not impossible they do play the bucks if they won that game that helps but you know we'll we'll stay in the realm of more possible more probable than that and say the best case scenario is the number four seed for atlanta um that's definitely possible slash realistic and the fact that the hawks are there now basically and if they do that um you have home court advantage against the team the hawks can realistically beat in the first round you can choose which opponent that you would like to have. I personally would be rooting, if I'm a Hawks fan, for the Knicks or the Hornets in the first round, if I possibly could choose. I think it's more likely to be Boston um, and maybe even Miami beyond that. But still, if the Hawks are the four seed, you have home court, I think they can win that series. Would I pick them against Boston or Miami? I don't know. We'll have to look into the matchup a little bit more, see who's healthy, see who's available for both sides, all that stuff. But they can win against those teams in the first round. So best case scenario, keeping with that theme... I'll say that they win the first round. And I think I can't, even in this scenario, pick them to beat Philly or Brooklyn in a series. That does not seem likely to me. Is it possible? Sure. But I, I think just trying to be um, in the more reasonable, best-case scenario, like I think winning a first-round series and losing a competitive series to Brooklyn and Philly, Brooklyn or Philly in the, in the second round, would be a heck of a season. So we'll we'll stop there. And I'll, I'll say this as a, sort of a parting shot on today's podcast. They're in fantastic shape right now and on pace to fly past the preseason projections, even with some crazy injuries this year. Now, they have, knock on wood, sort of avoided the COVID protocol messes that some other teams have had, but essentially, you know, 90% of the roster has been hurt for multiple games at any point in time. If you, if you look up and, down the, uh, up and down the list of, like, who's been available for the Hawks on any given night, you've had some serious injury stuff. Like, Hunter's been out for a long time. Let's just go through, actually, just the games themselves. You know, Trey and Herter and Capella have been pretty healthy, which is definitely a, a positive thing. But DeAndre Hunter has played 20 games. Collins, 48 games. Reddish, 26. Bogdanovich, 32. Gallo, 39. They just got Lou. Um, Tony Snell's only played, only played 40 games now. Um, 
you know, they've, they've had some serious injury stuff. Is it like it's sort of a catastrophe in the basketball reference page? No, but if you follow this team throughout the season and saw all the times where they had five, six guys out of the lineup, to be where they are right now is pretty impressive, honestly. So, with that said, best case and worst case, there you go. I think more real, real, realistically, as I've been saying for a while now, just get in that 4-5 spot and see what you can do. And we'll have plenty more coming on that. But uh, hopefully that paints the picture and answers the question that I was asked. All right. That's enough for today. Um, please subscribe to the podcast. Follow the show. Rate and review. We'll be back again after the game on Tuesday. Again, it's Hawks. It's Magic. State Farm Arena Tuesday night. We'll be back after that. And we'll see you next time.